What's going on, everybody? Hey, we got the whole family with us today. We got Victory Midtown, Victory North Cobb, Victory Hamilton Mill, Victory Online family locally as well as globally in Mexico and Brazil and Canada. What is up, everybody? Uh, hey, so welcome in, everybody. So if you cannot tell... We're in a little bit of a different format today. And so let me kind of catch you up with this moment. If maybe this is your first time at Victory or maybe you're newer with Victory over the last few weeks. Um, So what in essence we've been doing this entire year is taking a journey through the greatest sermon that was ever preached, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, called the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus's sermon, three straight chapters of red letters. And uh, there in the middle of uh, that sermon in Matthew 6, Jesus kind of spends what I would just say is kind of like an inordinate amount of time on money and wealth and stewardship and possessions, really the things that bog us down, that cause us stress, that cause us to worry when they don't have to. God has provided a better way. Everybody say better way. Better way, which is really what we've been diving into over the last few weeks. So uh, the first week, we kind of set this idea. What Jesus does is saying, uh, store up treasures in heaven. So we've been talking about actually having the right goal in life. And then we moved into having generous eyes that walk around looking to bless instead of just us for and no more. And then we tackled this big idea of not serving what Jesus kind of calls the spirit that is on money, but actually not serving money, but serving God. And then last week, we embraced this really big promise from Jesus that we don't have to worry about money. Come on somebody. I want two scoops of that. Um, uh, and, and because Jesus promises to meet all of our needs, not necessarily all of our wants, but all of our needs. And so we have to kind of reset some of those things in our life. And so today, what we wanted to do was to kind of take another big step in that direction and do something that we don't always do in church and is to get into the details Right? How many of you know, like when we just kind of generally talk about money, it's kind of easy to kind of squirm our way out of it or say, well, that doesn't really apply to me or that, that part isn't spiritual, right? So um, I believe this. I believe that all truth is God's truth. And I believe that uh, some of the things we're going to talk about today, maybe on the face, may not look incredibly spiritual, but they're actually some of the most spiritual decisions you can make in regards to money and about our future. And so I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a pastor because uh, I wear Nikes. And uh, up here on the side, we have three incredible people here in the church who don't wear Nikes um, because they are business people. And they're actually the, the outside board or the, the board of the church, the non-staff board of the church. So these three people aren't on staff here at Victory, but they're part of the team that oversees Victory and actually helps to steer Victory. And while I may know a little about a lot of things, these guys are topic experts when it comes to wealth and stewardship and finances, possessions, debt, and all of those sorts of things. And so over the last few weeks, we've actually been kind of floating on social media uh, to, for for you as a congregation to kind of give us some questions that we could maybe take a spur to go deeper into off of some of the bigger topics we've been talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount in regards to money. So uh, in just a second, we're going to do that, but I want to set this up. So Proverbs eleven fourteen, and the message paraphrase says, without good direction, people lose their way, but the more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances Come on, somebody. How many of you agree with that? The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. So uh, another translation would say, uh, in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. So I have good news for you today. There's a whole lot of wisdom on these couches up here. And they said, hey, sign me up. I want to come and I want to be able to give some of the wisdom of what God's developed in me and my story and through education and experience and work. And I want to be able to give that to the church. So in just a second, we're going to dive into that. But I want you to get to know these three individuals. Every single one of you should know these three people. Uh, because they're absolutely incredible people and such a blessing to Summer and I and such a blessing to Victory. So first off, we have Frederick Stanfield right here. So Frederick has, and I'm gonna stick to this because 
What, who they are in this little bio is, is so important for, for us to get. So Frederick has over 28 years of experience in corporate America and executive leadership and financial planning and budgeting and analysis. In the past season, Frederick actually started a wealth management company in order to uh, help people plan for the years ahead with peace of mind on a firm foundation. Um, he's a licensed CPA, licensed financial planner. Uh, he's been married to his wife, Lori, for 26 years. They have two sons. <clears throat> They've attended Victory for eight years, and bad news, he's an Alabama fan. <laughs> Get out. Get out. I know Pastor Chris up at Hamilton Mill is really excited right now, but there's two Alabama fans. Um, no more. We're not allowed to have any more. Uh, <clears throat> hey, over here, we got Martha Ricks. So Martha, uh, for more than 25 years, uh, she has held a variety of leadership roles and I love how this says this, represented an array of technical product lines with a global leader in the graphic arts and commercial printing industry called Kodak. And so Kodak is still alive and well, and Martha is helping to lead that innovation, um, moving from one generation of products to the next generation of products. Products. Um, I, I love what Martha specifically brings to our board. Um, many of you don't even know, like you, you look around Victory and you have a lot of the things you like or love about Victory and you don't even know that you should be telling her thank you for that because of her fingerprints on the church. So Martha has been married to her husband, Jerry, for 38 years. It's amazing because she's 44 and they've been members of Victory for 23 years. I love that. I love that. I love that. All right. Last but not least over here on the end, we have Pastor Daryl Mims. All right. So a lot of you know Pastor Daryl because uh, he was uh, one of the executive pastors here at Victory. He was the CFO of Victory for almost 23 years. And I echo what Pastor Dennis, the founding pastor of Victory, said many, many, many times, that because of Daryl's stewardship over the finances, over the giving of the church, that's one of the primary drivers for why Victory is out of debt, even today, because of how God used this man right here. So before he came on staff here at Victory, he spent over 21 uh, years in corporate America in a variety of roles and C-suites and that, that sort of thing. Uh, he's a licensed CPA, and I love this about Daryl. He has a passion to help kingdom business leaders make a, a greater kingdom impact. And uh, he's one of those guys who doesn't want to retire. He wants to refire. And moving into to just the next season uh, of life. And I love that about you, Daryl. So Daryl and his wife, Tanya, have been married for 43 years, have attended Victory for 29 years. They have two boys, a daughter-in-law, two grandchildren, and one on the way. One grandchild on the way, not a child on the way, because that would be a different conversation for Daryl and his wife. Tanya. All right. <laughs> All right. Hey, so let's just kind of jump right into this. So uh, again, we've kind of been receiving over the last few weeks a number of questions from, from many in the congregation here. So let me just kind of boil it down to this kind of catch-all question here. So um, Frederick, so you are not 20 anymore. You're not 25 anymore. You have experience. You have life. You have wisdom. You have education. You have business. There, there's a lot under your belt. But if you looked back to young Frederick, Right, And there's a lot of young people here today across the campuses. If you look back to maybe like 20-year-old Frederick or even 25-year-old Frederick, what advice, financial advice, would you give him today? And I often like to start with uh, just looking back to the 25-year-old Frederick. I tell him, hey, somewhere around 45, you're going to go balls, so enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I, I, I want to start with this because this kind of hit me when we were down there in praise and worship about the good news of, of Jesus. Not only just the good news of God's word, because that is the greatest news we can ever have is sharing and, te and uh, that, that testimony in and of itself. But also the good news that God gives us the ability to overcome that we can testify about the goodness of God in our lives. And that's what happened to me. I grew up in the rural south, uh, a family of 10, a town of about 2,500 people, and my dad was a blue-collar working guy. And so looking back at 25-year-old Frederick, who didn't go up with a lot of financial knowledge and information, I would say this. Uh, the first one is about stewardship. To say, be a good steward, because when we start our career, we start off making just a little bit of money uh, when you initially start off in your 20s. But it's be a good steward of that. Pay your tithes and your offerings, which is something that I always did. 
but also save because the younger you start saving, the bigger the difference is. And we have a little graphic here that I'd like you to take a look at that just shows you the impact of saving if you start when you're 25 versus when you're 45 versus when you're 35. And if you look at all these, they have one thing in common. They're only saving $100 a month, but over the course of getting to age of 65 or retirement, they make a huge difference in the amount of wealth you accumulate. And the reason that it's important, I always feel, is because the purpose of that wealth is so that when God directs our heart and directs our how we manage and steward the resources that he's given us, we're, we're able to be more generous and to give into the lives and into the church and into the things that make a difference for the kingdom. Um, the second thing I would share with um, 20 five-year-old Frederick, uh, that I would go back and say I'd go to 20-year-old Frederick. So all of us have been in college. We've had that credit card come in the mail, and it's like, wow, credit card. So I got a credit card at about 20 years old, and believe me, I, I was not a big music fan, but I loved to make sure that music was crystal clear, that you could hear the highs, the lows, the mids. From two blocks away, it was crystal clear. So what did I do with that credit card? Now, I went out and bought what in today's dollars is about a $4,000 stereo system while I was still in college on this credit card and put it in my car. And I'm just riding through, headed to work, and I'm letting the tunes and you could hear them. I came out from work and somebody left a nice little note on my front seat. It was a brick. They had thrown the brick in and they had stolen the system and everything and it was gone. So what do you think I did? Like any good college student would do. I went back and I bought another $4,000 <laughs> stereo system on that card. Yeah, debt. It's a frenemy. It's, it feels good going in sometimes, but it's like a near-death experience getting out. So uh, I learned that valuable lesson, and they broke in yet again, took the speakers. I had the stereo with me this time, but I didn't charge anything else because after 8000 I just said, I'll ride around with no music, and I did that for about five or six years. So, so learn uh, from others' mistakes and just learn that debt is not our friend. Debt is like the kryptonite to creating wealth and creating your ability to be generous because it weighs you down. It takes all of the resources in the borrow becomes servant to the lender. So avoid debt. So I always say, start with this. Don't charge anything else. Work on paying off what you have. That's good. <laughs> All right, so top two pieces of advice, even if you're young, like it's not, it's not too, is, is this a safe thing to say? It's not too young to start saving. It's never too young to start saving. If you can start, if you're 16 and you're working a job and you just put $25 away, start as soon as you can. Awesome. So save and get the, what I call the debt monkey off your back, right? Yeah, get the, get the debt monkey off your back. So, uh, Martha, I know you have your own experience with this and growing up, and you know, we all have that, but I think you have a very unique story with that. So, why don't you kind of talk to us about how growing up influenced your view on debt and kind of where you go from there? So, uh, good morning, Victory family. Um, thank you. I have um, a, a real life experience with debt, and um, it's the greatest testimony of my life is how God shaped and, and healed that issue in my life. But I'm gonna rewind a little bit and go back to uh, my childhood. Um, unfortunately, I grew up in a home where uh, financial stress and debt was prevalent, and it really dominated the landscape in so many ways. Uh, my father was a horrible money manager, and unfortunately, all the stresses that came along with that um, were uh, very horrible at times. Um, but uh, as, as time went on, obviously, I, I, went, I graduated from high school and went to college, and college was going to change everything. So fast forward, graduate from college, and uh, meet my husband. And uh, we started our marriage, and I brought all of that influence that I had learned as a child into my marriage. So I was starting out in debt. I would write checks with no money in the bank. I mean, it just crazy uh, mishandling of money. Fortunately, we went to an incredible church, uh, a multicultural church, much like Victory. And we heard a sermon on tithing, and that sermon changed our lives. 
Uh, I, I went home and I was determined to give God 10% of all of our increase and trust him with everything as it related to our finances. So I will tell you that it wasn't an immediate shift of greatness and job promotions and those types of things. It was more like a fork in the road where I decided to take a path of good stewardship. And the first thing we did was a budget. And I'll tell you, a budget is your friend because it really reveals the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's pretty basic on the surface. You have money coming in and static money that you owe, whether it's a mortgage, a car payment, your utilities, et cetera. But there's this one column that is a budget buster, and that is miscellaneous. <laughs> and miscellaneous, I, I liken to a big hairy monster with teeth. It will eat it up. So I was fortunate that my in-laws were incredible money managers, and they taught us about this one system they had, which will date myself, because it's called the envelope system. And so some of you have, okay, good, good. It works. And so we would put the cash in the envelopes, and these were categories of miscellaneous. So we had entertainment, we had Christmas, we had groceries, uh, birthday gifts, we had a little one for savings, and then of course we had the hair salon. So <laughs> that I, I should have probably said that first because I was guilty of siphoning some money out of the other envelopes <laughs> and making sure that was always plentiful. So, but from that standpoint, it really helped to get us on track. And then God led me to an amazing job opportunity. And so now for 27 years, I've enjoyed um, a wonderful career and so thankful and humbled for the financial security that I owe all of the blessing to the Lord. He has so many byproducts that can happen when you are obedient to the tithe and offering. And I love those um, to share with you because number one, in a corporate career, I've survived double digits of downsizings. So my name came on the block just like everyone else's and I know that the favor of the Lord and the Holy Spirit was in those decisions. He also gave me a creative mind to negotiate complex financial opportunities. Yes, the girl who wrote checks with no money in the bank, okay, was now, operating in an extreme um, intelligence with the Holy Spirit honestly guiding my creative mind. Simply, in our home, we've had appliances, a washer and dryer that are 27 years old, uh, appliances that last 15 years in my kitchen, cars that run well into 100,000 miles and beyond. And so the, the blessings and the byproducts of tithing are incredible. My favorite, however, is the gift of generosity that he's given me and my husband to be generous not only with our finances, but to be generous with our love of people in our lives, our home, uh, the resources that he's entrusted us with. So the takeaway is get a budget, well, tithe first, get a budget, and be intentional about paying off debt and staying out of debt. Mm. Yeah, Martha, I love how I've heard you say this. You said the generosity is like the tin man getting his heart in the, in the Wizard of Oz. And I think, you know, uh, I know we're all dating ourselves now at that point. I, mean, I don't know if any of us were alive when that movie came out anyways. But um, I, I think I felt that same thing about like learning to be generous. And it's like, I didn't even know that was in there. And just this beginning to grow a heart. And I love, I, I love the imagery of that, of the tin man getting, getting his heart. So, um, uh, Pastor Darrell, so kind of in, in that same vein of, of debt, of, uh, you know, and, and we stress debt because that's the culture we live in, right? I mean, it's a debt culture. It, it says it's not a big deal, but we know it does rob joy. It robs generosity. It, it increases stress and anxiety and everything. So, um, one of the questions that came in was, in, in, a, in kind of that debt culture, right? Usually people do one of two things when, whenever they have debt. Either they just keep getting in debt <laughs> and it just keeps, keeps adding up or they just abandon everything and just attack debt. Um, but one of the questions that came, kind of came in, it's a little bit of a loaded question, but um, in, in that place, should we prioritize paying off debt or should we prioritize saving? And I know this is a specific story inside your life, so unpack it for us. Yes, um, about 20 years ago, I had the 
I want to say unfortunate, um, to, to make some decisions about which one should I do? Should I pay off my debt or should I save? And how did I get into that situation? And so um, one of the things I need to tell you, a lot of you have been here for many years, but those of you who have not, when I came on staff here uh, about uh, 23 years ago, um, I, I was a CFO of a company, and at that particular time, um, I made a pretty good salary. But when I came on staff here, the church was very small at the time, and so my wife and I knew that we would not be getting the same salary that we were getting before, and it was several hundreds of thousand dollars less. But we felt like, you know, we wanted to serve God here at Victory. And so um, in doing so, there were a few years that I was actually taking money out of savings in order to pay for, to help pay for our living expenses. And so basically I was doing the opposite. Um, I never had credit card debt, and the reason why I never had credit card debt because I was taking the money out of savings to pay for the, to pay for the credit card. So about 20 years ago, this all hit a wall and everything just kind of crumbled down. Um, I was diagnosed with a serious disease, but I am healed, in Jesus' name. I am healed. But at that same time, when I came back to work, I realized, I looked at my finances, and I'm at a place where I don't have an emergency fund. Um, I have $200 in retirement savings. I have two sons, one who just started college, um, and another one, four years out, will be starting college. And so, you know, I was concer concerned that I would have to have uh, school loans. And uh, it, it was just a very tough place financially. And so God and I, we, we, we got together and we had this tough, tough conversation. <laughs> Have that happened to any of you? You get to yes. that place? And so God corrected me and he gave me instructions. He corrected me. He said, okay, get the pride out of you. Because, you know, here I am a CPA. I got an MBA. I was a CFO of a company. And my budget isn't even allowing me to save any type of money. His instructions were very clear. He said, you find $25 every pay, and, uh, every time you get paid, and you put that to savings. And I said, okay. And so I kept doing that. I kept doing that. After three months, I doubled. I continued doubling it. And then at the same time, as I'm paying off, I had two car payments and a, and a mortgage. Um, I started paying those off, and as I paid off the car payment, I applied that to more savings and applied it to the other car payment, and eventually was able to eradicate the debt um, completely as far as the car payments are concerned and continued in that mode to continue savings. And um, the biggest pay increase, pay increase came that I was able to save more money is after eight years of college for my sons. Yep. Do you understand what I'm saying? If any of you have kids in college, it costs money. And so we never went into debt, but yet when they finished, because of the money that we were paying for, we were able to uh, save additional money. So the takeaway from all this is you have to do both. You have to pay down the debt, and you also want to be able to save. And what we learned from this, my, my wife Tanya told me this, and, 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 and we applied this the entire time. We always tithe, but we also were giving offerings. And so one of the things we realized is that the offerings that we give have to go into things that have eternal rewards, things that we'll see that people will... Um, end up in God's kingdom in heaven and not in the fiery lake. And so we chose to give to, play, to um, nonprofits or to organizations that were going to further God's kingdom and that we were putting aside eternal rewards. What we also learned was is to how to handle wants and needs. And so we would only spend money for things that we really needed, and we started to eliminate things that were once. So, for instance, I don't know if this ever happened to any of you, 
when I would go to the grocery store <laughs> and I would buy, you know, the meats, the vegetables, the fruits, but then I go down that aisle that said ice cream. <laughs> and that aisle that said cakes and pies. And literally, literally, there would be times where I would put those things in the cart. I, I would go to another aisle or come up front to cash out and I would take it back. <laughs> and then I go up and I say, no, I gotta go and get that. And I go back and get it again. <laughs> and then, you know, and we would go back and forth and back and forth and literally, with that example and other examples, that's how we got to the point where we were able to pay off all of our debt, is to really manage those wants. And you know, the same thing with cars. Um, you can get a loan for a car for seven to eight years, and we made the decision that we would get, um, if we weren't able to pay cash for the car, that we would get a car payment that's maybe a couple years, and then we would pay it off as soon as possible. So we were balancing debt with savings. And so that's, that's the, um, the information I want to give you. Yeah, yeah. It's because debt is not your friend, right? Debt is not your friend. And, and I love this. Uh, you know, why, one of the reasons why uh, we've actually incorporated some of uh, Daryl's language here at Victory is ROS, right? We want to give to things that have a high ROS. If you're in business, you know all about ROI, return on investment. But here, I think as Christians, we care about ROS. What's our return on souls? So what am I giving to? What am I spending on? How is my life pointed that's actually having a, ha a high ROS? And we actually got that from Daryl uh, years ago. So, so I love that. Um, real quick, Daryl. So let's, let's get super practical, okay? Like 60 seconds. Um, uh, I know this is a big uh, thing on your heart that I think could really benefit some of us here, is how do you go about paying off credit card debt? Okay. Um, well, I actually, unfortunately, was using my savings to pay off my credit card debt. But, <laughs> but if you have a lot of credit cards, um, this is the way to do it. Take the card that has the lowest balance and whatever the high interest rate may be on there and pay that card off first and then apply that particular amount that you were paying on that card to the next card that has the lowest balance, and you keep doing that until you pay off all your cards, okay? And so it's called laddering, and it's, it's the quickest way to get it done. It may take, uh, you know, a short period of time. It may take a couple of years, but it's worth doing because what eventually where you wanna become, you wanna rely on God as being the bank and, and not paying interest to a bank. When you need money, you want to be able to go to God and say, okay, I am stewarding what you already own, and this is what I need, and he's going to give it to you. Amen? That's good. That's good. So here's why I'd say, I, I know, you know, for some of you uh, came to church today, and you're like, well, where's Jesus? Where's the gospel? Um, I, here, here's, here's what I'd say. Uh, saving, and we're going to talk about some more stuff here, but saving and getting out of debt it may not feel like it, but maybe two of the most spiritual decisions that you can make today because of what it does in your life, what it prepares, uh, what it does inside your family, what it allows you to do uh, in areas of generosity and blessing the world uh, in, area, in ways that we aren't able to do right now. That, you know, Jesus says that Christians are gonna be known by our love. And many times what hinders us from being able to live lives of love out into the world is we're working all these side jobs, working overtime, we're trying to pay off debt. Like it robs from our family, it robs from generational blessing, it robs from our ability to bless the world. So uh, I think two of the most spiritual things we do. I think you, you guys all hit it, the, the nail on the head there is to save and to get out of debt. So um, here's another question that came in. So what does the Bible teach about couples and money? Ooh, okay. Is all money to be shared 50-50? All right. So if you ask this question, don't own up to it because you're about to get into a fight in the parking lot after... <laughs> <laughs> after church with your spouse. So here's what I'd say. You know, this is kind of a pastoral question um, without getting into the nitty gritty of it. Um, you know, I, uh, Summer and I, just this last week, celebrated our 22-year anniversary. Come on, Jesus. And I can confidently say this, that we would not have had our 22-year anniversary if we had different bank accounts. 
we may have had our first year anniversary and then not made it to number two. Um, why? Because Genesis 2.24, um, very famously, something probably all of us have heard at some point, is that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one. One. And I think there are very... Uh, slippery, very subtle, very deceitful ways that we buy into that keeps us from becoming one. And here's what I'm just gonna tell you. If you have two bank accounts, that's an area that you're not one. That's an area that you're united. And I know, you know, there may be a number of reasons. Like you may, I was just listening to your story, Martha. You, you, so, you know, maybe your spouse comes from a family where they're raised a certain way and you keep getting hit with overdraft charges and you're like, okay. All right, I'm gonna give you $100 a month in your account. You play in that sandbox, but we, <laughs> we can't have the creditors calling, you know? Um, but here, here's what I say, like, uh, in, in many areas, I think, let me just say it really strongly, I think we're practicing for divorce. Because what we're really kind of saying is, hey, if this doesn't work out, at least I got mine. And maybe you've been burned before. Maybe, maybe you were raised a certain way. Maybe you got some fears. Here's what I'd say, guys. Don't create a marriage that accommodates your fears. Create a marriage that pursues health and wholeness, right? So if, you got some, if you've been burned and that sort of stuff before, hey, maybe for a time, you just need to let the other person do the finances, right? And you just kind of own, hey, I'm not the best at this, but I'm good at some other stuff. I'm just not good at the money. So you handle the money side, right? Um, but here's how I kind of just, in, in, in one statement, I would answer this question. Is, is, is finances and marriage, is it 50-50? No. I would say it's 100% for you both. It's not I have mine and you have yours. No, we are one. Therefore, the money is ours. And we have to figure out a way to lock arms and do this thing together. Yeah? Okay. Um, hey, let's, let's, let's take a, a, another, another step here. So um, this is kind of another pastoral question. And so I want to ask uh, Pastor Darrell over here because um, we've both found ourselves in this situation before. And what, one of the most heartbreaking situations, and let's just get real, real, real. One of the most heartbreaking situations that I found myself um, sitting around a table in is this, is um, somebody in the family has passed away. Let's just go ahead and say it's dad, right? Dad, husband. And um, as pastors, we go to the funeral home and the family's there sitting around the table and just grief, right? Let's, let's just be real, just grief, trying to figure out how to reconcile this. Where do we go from here, right? But then because there was no end of life planning, because there was no life insurance, because there was no will, because these sorts of things, not only do you find a family in grief, but you have a family where one of them's trying to set up a GoFundMe. So not only are they navigating grief, now they're navigating worry about how are we gonna pay for this funeral? And then they're left with these gut-wrenching decisions about like, well, he had always said he wanted this, but we can't afford that, so we have to do this. Now the family's fighting about it. And it's, it is gut-wrenching to see a family that not only is having to go through, through grief, but now they're having to go through financial worry. And the truth is, it's avoidable. So, Pastor Darrell, I know that you found yourself sitting around these tables um, with families before and having to navigate this. So can you unpack that for us? Yeah, that's a very, very difficult place to be because that family is sitting there and you're preparing for the funeral, but also they're thinking about how we're going to pay the bills next week, you know, how we're going to have food on the table, you know, what's going to happen to our kids in 10 years from now. And so all those questions come up. The answer is very clear. You need to buy life insurance. And I want to just stress, this week, if you do not have life insurance, or even if you just have a life insurance policy through your company, you still should have your own policy. And so please consider going out and doing that. And these are the reasons why. It's not just to pay for the funeral expenses, but if you're married, there's going to be now, uh, and both spouses are, and both, yeah, spouses are working. One of them, you're not going to be receiving their income. And so you've, you've got to be able to substitute that. And if you're a single parent, then 
How, what's going to happen to my kids if I'm gone? And if family members are taking care of them, you want to be able to leave them some type of financial uh, fund so that your kids are going to be raised the way that you had envisioned that they were going to be raised. Uh, you want to be able also to pay for their schooling in the future. And if, if you also, if there's a married couple and the breadwinner passes away, and let's say the other spouse never worked, then you want to be able to have enough funding for their retirement. So it's very, very important to buy life insurance. And life insurance is basically pennies on the dollar. I think we have a slide that will actually show this. Um, one of the most common type of life insurances that you can buy is term insurance. And so what you want to do, you want to buy this insurance at a very young age because it's a lot less. So for a million dollar policy, and I know a lot of people say a million dollars, I might not need a million dollars. You'd be surprised how much it costs for you to live a lifetime or a long period of time and how much money is spent. And, you know, even if you're in your 20s, you want to consider the fact that you need to buy life insurance. And even if you're single, especially if you want to get married at some point, to have that in place. So if you look at this example, you see how much a 30-year term policy costs when you're, when you're in your 30s. But look how much it goes up to when you're in your 40s or when you're in your 50s. And so you want to buy this as young as possible. You may make some adjustments, maybe when you're in your 40s or so forth, but this is a requirement, really, that is needed in order to prevent having this situation come up where you did not plan for it. And so the takeaway from this is, please go out and buy life insurance as soon as you can if you do not have it. Yeah. <clears throat> And yeah, I, you know, and honestly, the reason I even asked that question, I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to who've just gone through the most horrendous situations inside their church and they're like, we have to find a way to tell our congregation, please get life insurance because of what it's like for those who are left behind if you don't. And so Frederick, I wanna I want ask you this question just kind of along the, those lines because this is literally what you do. Now we're not marketing Frederick today. We're not even gonna put any information up here. But, um, this, so be, but this is your experience. Like this is literally what you walk people through all the time. And I love one of your sayings is actually, what's it gonna be like um, for, what's your family's experience gonna be like when you die? What's it, what's it, what's it gonna be like for those who are left behind? So with, with kind of that vantage point, why don't you walk us through that? Yeah. Now, we all love our families. And when you think about all the time and the effort and the memories that you created, you wanna make sure that those memories last not only your lifetime, but your family's and your children's and your grandchildren's lifetime. And the biggest opportunity you have, just like uh, Pastor Darrell was saying earlier about life insurance, is actually plan to say, I love my family enough that I wanna make sure that if anything ever happens to me, that my family will be in that enviable position that they were loved and they were prepared and they are cared for. Yeah. And it's how do you do that? You know, the Bible tells us about the two greatest commandments of loving God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul and loving your neighbor as yourself. And what better place to start than loving your family to make sure that you leave that legacy that they are in good hands and how do you do that? action step-wise, and I've seen it. I'll give you my personal testimony. When you don't have the knowledge and you don't know. Uh, so I grew up in the rural South, and, and my dad was, like, as I told you, a blue-collar working guy. Um, and he worked hard, paid off his house. He had, now think about it, he has 10 kids, um, probably at that point, four or five grandkids, and he leaves the property to air property. So meaning that property was my mom's, my mom's kids, my mom's grandkids, and to go through the legal challenges and obstacles to try and move all that into her name, you, it, she was stuck. So she had this house that she could not sell. She could not, um, well, she did move because she didn't <laughs> like where she was at. Uh, but uh, she, well, I won't go there. <laughs> Mother-in-law issues. But, uh, <laughs> but the reality of it was, though, but planning, the lack of planning left her in a rather sticky situation. And so we, the way we overcome that is 
you go out and you get a will, you can get trust, you do the legal documents, there are services, you can Google online uh, a number of legal services, you can Google the local attorney, but you wanna sit down and make sure you're doing those things because through doing that, you are gonna leave a beautiful gift that is so uh, wonderful for your family not to have the stress and the worries uh, that they're burdened with when you don't do that. And while you're up, or we're up in heaven walking those streets of gold and having a good life and enjoying the eternal life, we've made sure that our family that is still here on this earth, they're having a good life and a great experience because we love them enough to make sure that they were prepared. That's good. Yeah, there's, there's nothing worse than you spend your whole life trying to build this great family, and then you pass away, and you don't really prepare, you don't have the life insurance, you don't have the will, and then your kids are fighting about a table, yes. And, right? And, yes, and if I can add to that, and, and believe me, I see it. I won't give you any specifics. I see it all the time. One of the worst experiences uh, in my profession is when loved ones don't prepare, don't plan, and they leave money, they leave assets behind, you want to see the worst come out. I've seen families destroyed where siblings are in court suing each other and they don't even talk anymore yeah. because they're fighting over what wasn't taken care of by the person that passed away or by the parent or by the husband or by the spouse. So just think about that. You put all that time into building this beautiful family. Don't leave it to chance, um, just leaving things for them to fight over because People will fight when it comes to things, and it gets ugly, and it's, it's, it's just not becoming to what we've been called to as Christian to love our uh, families to life and to leave them in a great position. Yeah. One of the most spiritual things you could do is to get life insurance and set up a will. I know, I know we don't normally frame it like that. Um, mm, that's really good. All right, so coming come here uh, t towards the end, but um, <clears throat> Martha, so I, I know this is kind of something that even in your family, you have a, have a very front row seat to and very uh, vested interest in. Um, but let me kind of phrase it like this. So one of these questions came in, but um, one, of, one of your passions is caring for elderly parents and towards end of life. I know that can be a really sticky situation sometimes. So just kind of share some thoughts with us. Thank you. Um, the, the passion came from my husband and I being very up close and personal to the situation, both with his parents and with my mom, who within 11 months, we lost all three of them. So uh, those experiences will, will shape you and watching and working through the necessary care that it took to make sure that they had the uh, resources to care for their physical body and, uh, uh, and their mental and emotional health was, was, was interesting. I will back up just a little bit because, um, for example, my mother was able to live with my older sister in her home, moved in, I think I'm correct on this, at age 89. And my younger sister also in the same city was able to collaborate and support my mom's um, really assisted living, okay, at that age. And it, it was, it allowed her to stay in the home. And it was all good until it wasn't. Uh, she came down with an illness and suddenly couldn't walk. So we were faced with what are the next steps. My sister's home was not accommodating to any kind of wheelchair situation. So we were left uh, scrambling and thankfully, uh, with the great support system of my sisters, a tremendous amount of research was done at that moment, a tremendous amount of planning, collaboration, and I was blessed with her being able to come here to Georgia for the remaining months of her life. So the takeaway from this is, you know, the passion that we have for our parents that we love so much is that the planning is critical and it's crucial that you have these loving conversations with your, with your parents about the longevity of their life and the resources that will be needed to support them well and to give them comfort and um, really the infrastructure to be able to um, manage that end of life experience. I know that there's several options. They all cost money. 
uh, but planning is essential. And my husband happens to be in assisted living industry, and one of his takeaways is that planning early is critical because when you have the time to plan, you have options available to you. When you get bumped up to um, an immediate requirement, that window closes and you're left with fewer choices for your loved one. So the takeaway is plan, have those loving conversations, and obviously in all things, pray about it. Yeah. So let me, let me kind of say this because I know, especially you know, when, when you have to make a decision uh, with a parent and about a parent, do we care for them in the home? Do we, do we put them in assisted living? Those sort of things. Um, those can be gut-riching decisions and they, they do have financial ramifications. A lot, I've seen a lot of people struggle with guilt and shame and those sorts of things. And so I just, want to, I just, I, I just felt led to say this, like seek the Lord and put one foot in front of the other on how he would lead you to do that. Don't allow guilt and shame to control your life. Um, if you're able, plan ahead. Let me say this, planning, and this is, the, this is the tricky thing in churchianity, right? Is a lot of people view planning as being faithless. Like, oh, we're not gonna have that conversation because you're saying I'm gonna die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I am, <laughs> and I am too, and you are too, and you are too. I'm sorry, like, unless the Lord tarries, right? Like, we're, we're not just, you know, even if you are Elijah and just get summoned up to heaven, there's still gonna be people here, and so plan, plan ahead. Have the conversation. It's not faithless. I don't care if you're sick and you're like, I don't wanna plan because that's saying I'm gonna die. Even if you get healed, at some point you're gonna die. Plan ahead, plan ahead. Plan. One of the most spiritual things you can do today is to plan ahead, It's to plan ahead. <clears throat> All right, I'm gonna, hit, I'm gonna do this one really quickly. So here's one of the questions. I'm not an expert in finances. How do I find someone who is wise financially that I can trust to help me? All right, we got everybody, uh, these three's email addresses. And we're gonna, just kidding, we're not gonna do that. Um, and then it would be the rest of your life trying to manage thousands of people. So don't rush to the doors to try and you know, pull out your Excel spreadsheet and be like, help me with my budget. Um, here's what I always kind of say with finances. I say this with addiction. I say this with marriage issues. Um, you didn't get into this problem overnight and you're not going to get out of it overnight. All right. And your, your, your plan, your financial plan cannot be to win the lottery. So let me just go ahead and kill that one today. Some of you are like living for QT on Sunday afternoons. You're like, well, I died today. Like I'm going to get, not going to write a big tie check. And you're trying to spiritualize it and rationalize with God. All right. Your, your plan cannot be getting out of debt. So this is why we have financial classes here. It's why we have budget classes here. I mean, budget coaches here. Um, there's, I mean, even when we're talking about setting up a will or doing um, some life insurance or things like that, Google can be a friend. There are also people inside uh, the church here. This is the industry that they're in. And so ask around, ask in your small group. Try and find some trusted mentors and some trusted advisors in your life. All right, so here's the last question. Here's the last question. Um, and there's a reason why I'm ending on this one. So here's the question that came in. So how do I go about tithing? I get paid bi-weekly. Should I give 10% of each paycheck or is it okay to combine and give monthly? Like give one thing at the end of the month. No, so here's the deal, all right? Some of you may, may be wondering like, hey, maybe I'm newer to church. Like what's the deal with tithing? Like why, why are we talking about this? Here's the deal with tithing. So tithe itself means 10th. What it is is saying, you know, it's the, it's the 10th I give. If we go all the way back, all right, so the tithe meant the first 10% of your increase. Well, the, you know, you call it the first fruits because it was in an agricultural society, right? And here's the principle of the tithe. Here's the principle of why it's called first fruits is that because the first of what came into my life, I gave back to God. Why? Because at the end of the day, tithing is about trust. That's what it is. So when I give God the first of what comes into my life, especially as a farmer, what I'm saying is, God, I give you the first before anything else has even come in. So that means I trust you. I trust that before there's even anything else in my life, I trust that you're gonna bring the rest in. So here's the question. Should I, should I tithe on every paycheck? Should I, oh gosh, I just got $4 for my birthday. I gotta pay 40 cents. I gotta run up to the church, you know? Um, or should I do it once at the end of the month? Here's what I'd say, okay? I'm not gonna be legalistic about it. What I'd say is, just before the Lord, what's the, what's the greatest sign of God I trust you? 
you're Jehovah Jireh. You're the Lord who sees the needs of your people and provides for those needs. And so God, I trust you. Guys, at the end of the day, that's what tithing is about. Offerings about love. Offerings about God. I, I wanna have a high ROS. Like I wanna, I wanna give these things. That, tithing is about trust. At the end of the day, do I trust that God is my provider? And this is why there's a principle of first all throughout the Bible, your first affections. God wants your first affection. God wants your first um, talents. God wants your first time. And God wants your first treasure because it's all a sign of God. I trust you. I trust that at the end of the day, the government's not my provider. My boss is not my provider. I trust that God is my provider. Somebody stopped me at the door right after last service and said God spoke to him in a season um, uh, of kind of lack in his life. And he said, I am your promotion. I am your promotion. You won't even have to ask. I'll do it for you. And really, that's the type of life that we want to live. I know there's a lot of nuance to it, but we're saying, God, I trust you. And really, that's really what this whole series is about. That's really everything that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's about trust fund. Do I trust God with the funds? One of the greatest ways I can do that, I just wake up, I get my paychecks, I get all the increase in my life. I say, God, what's the greatest thing I can do to trust you with everything that you've brought into my life? Because we want to be people who trust God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, let's bow our heads. Let's pray real quick. Father, we trust you. You are Jehovah Jireh. I love that. This isn't just something we call you. This is something you call yourself, that you are the God who sees the needs of your people and provides for those needs. And so God, I thank you that you see our financial needs, that you provide for those. God, I thank you that you see our relational needs, you provide for those. You see our emotional needs and you provide for those. But God, I think, especially in this setting, I think we're all on the same page to say, greater than all of, our, all of, all of those needs, God saw our sin debt and provided for those needs. That when we had no answer, when we couldn't do enough in our own strength, when we couldn't do enough good works, God so loved the world that he gave. We have a generous God who saw that we were in a hole that we couldn't get out of, that our lives were headed to hell. And by his grace, his generosity, his love, his kindness, he gave us Christ who went to the cross in our place to rescue us. God, thank you for answering our greatest need and that is for salvation to be born again. And so right now, God, I know this on this holiday weekend. I don't even know how we got here. Some of us just clicked online. Some of us, somebody dragged us here. Some of us were from out of town. Some of us just woke up and said, I'm gonna go to church today. But God, I know this, we all need Christ. And so some of us are already in the family. Others of us came in here in a different type of debt than financial debt. We came with sin debt. But God, I thank you that you've provided a way and his name is Jesus. And so so today's the day of faith. Today's the day of repentance, of saying I'm turning away from my old way to go God's way. And so if that's you today and you need to say yes to Christ, I wanna lead you in a prayer. And uh, family of God around these guys, we're gonna pray this together. And so let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, thank you that you came that you died on the cross in my place so I could be born again, so I could be free. Today, right now, I repent of my sin, my greed, my addiction, and my darkness. I turn from it to step into the light of Jesus Christ. Today, I confess Jesus is my Lord is my king, is my savior. I am forgiven and I am free. I'm a child of God because of Jesus. So right now, I trust you with my past, with my present, and with my future. Today, I have eternal life, all because of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's give glory to God. And one more time, let's give it up for these three right here. Love you guys.